Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's going on, guys? Happy Wednesday. Hope you guys are well, as always. Welcome back to the award-winning Top Charting No Bad Dogs podcast with me, Tom Davis. There's been a fox running around my neighborhood today in the last couple of days. It's like, what the frick is going on out there, people? Um, it looks like a young fox looking to find his way. He's like going into these little culvert pipes. I feel bad, but I also don't want him to eat my cat. So I don't know. And then I remember Fox and the Hound the movie, and then I feel bad again. <laughs> anyway, this is a very different podcast than we've done before. Uh, this is with a dog that many, I, I don't know, it's, it's tough. And I want you guys, when you're listening to this podcast, to understand that my work with these calls that you guys listen to on the podcast is a consulting service. It's not training, it's consulting. It's all it is because it's... I'm just consulting to what I hear. So I want, I want you guys to know that um, before we get started, because it's, t- it's, tr- it's a tricky situation. It's a tricky thing. Um, so the consulting service is simple of just giving my advice, considering the information I'm hearing, not seeing. So just keep that in mind when you're listening to this. Take it with a grain of salt and try to get some information out that may be helpful to you. Uh, in the future for maybe your own dog or other dogs. And it's just a, it's just a, it's a story to, to listen to, even if it doesn't pertain to maybe some of the training that you're doing, but it'll give you some new information for sure, because I don't think we've ever done a podcast like this in particular, this, this, uh, in depth. So this is with a, a, a caring, loving dog owner, that's dealing with a dog that has a bite history and uh, three or f- three people, three professionals have said they euthanized the dog. And to be honest, for some reason in the beginning of the podcast, I thought she said that this was a bigger dog, not like a pit bull mix or something. It's not, it's a smaller dog, um, which kind of changes some of the potential liabilities of this dog moving forward, c- considering the amount of damage this dog could do. Um, so yeah, so just, be patient and be kind and be thoughtful when listening to this podcast for the owner's sake, the dog's sake, and my sake as a professional understanding that this is a consulting call. And um, we try to give the dog owner uh, the best information, the safest advice to move forward. And uh, like I said, I debated on putting this out just because I don't want to make the dog owner look a certain way because she's a very responsible dog owner who is just trying to make the right decisions. And she's, she's been working with this dog and other trainers for a long time trying to figure out what's going to be best. So keep that in mind that, um, that's, that's how this went. So if you guys want me to answer your dog training questions in specific, if you're listening and you have a question for me, I'll answer it. All you guys have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart, leave a review. And in that review, you'll leave your question, which I answer three of every single podcast at the end. Also, as you guys know, I'm going on tour. The people who live in the UK, uh, we have a 50% off ticket right now for audit spots to come and watch. All the working spots are sold out, but this week only, we are giving 50% off to all of the audit spots for the London area seminar, which means you can come and watch. 
50%. So it's only 150 bucks a day. It was 300. Um, so I hope you guys can make it out. I'd love to meet you guys and hang out and answer your questions and have a pint together. Very excited to come over. We only do it once a year. So very stoked. So click the link below to get your tickets for the US tour and the UK tour on discount. And uh, of course, if you guys don't know, we put out a brand new course, the which is a great course. It's the uh, No Bad Dog Kickstarter course. This is a course anybody should be uh, viewing, watching, listening, purchasing if they have a new dog or if they're struggling with behavioral issues. All of the information of that is in the link below as well. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Talk to you at the end. Really quick, I forgot to say that, uh, what, what's today? Today is September, oh, September, August 17th. I will be on Good Morning America this Saturday um, in the morning. Um, so it depends on where you live, but I think I'm going on live at like 8.15 or something. So if you watch between 8 and 9 on Saturday and Good Morning America, you'll see me in Lakota. Yay. It's the first time I, I've been on the Today Show multiple times. I've been on Fox News. I've done a segment for Good Morning America uh, online. I've never been on set with them. Um, so I'm super excited to actually go on set for the first time with my dog. I've always been with other people's dogs. So this time we're going to bring Lakota. I hope you guys can watch it. If you do, make sure you screenshot it and tag me so I can share it with all the people that follow us and uh, appreciate the love. So what do we got going on? So I adopted a dog um, on March 21st and I was told that he was held down and bit the daughter of his previous owner. Um, the he, his, he was difficult grooming and so the, um, the elderly couple gave him to her daughter, their daughter, and then she held him down and was cutting his nails and he bit her. The true story is, is he was in and out of a veterinarian clinic and um, shouldn't have been adopted out um, when I adopted him because he will full on attack people. <laughs> um, he doesn't bite. My last dog bit um, when I first got him and we trained him out of that, but this dog I'm fully on attacks. So he um, attacked me while I was laying in bed on June 1st. I surrendered him back to the, to the rescue foundation. And then at 2.30 that day, they called me and said, unless I take him back, they'll put him down. So then they recommended I go see a behavioral vet. So I go see her, and she thinks that he should be put down as well. But she said she'd give me six months of her help if I wanted it before he gets put down. And um, so I've searched videos and stuff like that because I've never had a dog that just randomly attacks. So he's on... Um, mental health health care um, every day and then he has Prozac for when he is getting his nails done um, I can cut sometimes one paw of nails and then I one day I touch his paw and he'll attack me and so it's mm -hmm. not consistent I'm, I can't just train him up um, it's he's very inconsistent and so I don't know I'm calling I'm here with you because he has obedience like I can let him, he'll sit and I'll be around a corner hiking and for like an entire minute. Um, and we've worked out his agility or no, sorry, his behavioral stuff. I'm teaching him deference training. And so he's re actually really good at that already. He's still, he's still scary. And so I know you have no buy of dogs and all of that, but uh, I don't know when, when the point is that. Right. Don't. Yeah, it's um, I mean, it's, it's it's a, it's tough. It's a tough thing to work through and work around. 
And of course, you know, my No Bad Dogs brand is at scale of 99% of the dogs that are either put down, put in a shelter, blamed. I mean, the brand is at scale like, hey, it's not your dog's fault, it's you. And of course, working with dogs, as long as I have professionally, I understand that there's genetically behavioral risks of keeping a dog around that has mental retardation, that has just the innate desire to just kill things. I totally understand that there's behavioral euthanasia cases, and that's not – some people take the no bad dogs thing and run with it, and it's something I believe in. You know, It's my whole brand, but there is that w- one case – that you may get that's like, okay, this dog is going to really hurt somebody or worse. Not he doesn't to- attack other dogs. He He's amazing off leash. Um, no aggression towards another dog. He gets attacked by other dogs sometimes. But other than that, it's just humans. Yeah. So there's this, you know, the, I think for me, the scariest thing a dog can do without training, meaning, what what goes beyond training, behavioral training, behavior modification, obedience training, what goes beyond that is the incident that you were talking about where you're laying there sleeping and the dog comes and attacks you. That's where it's like there's no reason that should happen. And if that were somebody else or somebody smaller or a kid – who knows, and I know that you wouldn't put this dog around kids, but that's that's without being said. I'm just saying those are the situations that there's no reason. They just do it maybe because it's – there's a lot of – so it, it's tough because people don't really know, and especially with dogs. Like they can hook people up to EKGs and to all these different systems to see what their brain activity is doing during this time and what their like. There's this rage thing that happens with certain animals when you overstimulate them. There's a lot that goes into it, but with dogs, we don't really do a lot of that research just because it's it's costly and there's not many dogs that really really fall under this category of that. And and so my point is is I don't want to try to narrow down exactly what this is because it'll probably be impossible for me to do over the phone without really analyzing this dog for a long period of time. So we have to just look at the realities of what you should do and what's going to be best for the dog. And I think, you know, if, if you've had one incident, so I'm really big about controlling the variable trigger. Because if you can control the only thing that you're having problems with, then that only thing won't exist. Do you know what I mean? And that's where so a lot- So I sleep with my door closed now. <laughs> right. Well, I was going to say, yeah. like there's there are certain dogs like, and, and here's the other flip, right? So we're talking about pet dogs. Now there's yeah. this other world of dogs that dog owners, pet owners, doggy moms, doggy dads have zero clue exists, which is the working- line and working careers of dogs where they need dogs to be on edge. They need dogs to be aggressive. They need dogs to kill. They need dogs to hunt. They need dogs to be viciously like, 
you know, serious. Like they need to be serious. They need to go into this place and get the bad guy because this bad guy is going to kill a bunch of people type of dog. And, I, and I'm saying this because that's what my brain does is we're talking about this dog from a pet point of view and somebody who's working with pets, like a behavioralist is only going to work with pets. A, a veterinarian is likely only going to work with pets. And of course you as a pet owner, that's all you know. I'm not making up excuses. I'm just saying, here's what I'm saying, is the amount of structured, easy management that people have to do to handle some of the dogs that are in these working categories is very simple yet effective when you have these loaded guns walking around your property or you have these loaded guns that are living on the same property as other people and other dogs. So there's a lot of management that goes into place. So that's the first place that my mind goes is if you are comfortable with this dog, the things that would have to be done pretty much immediately would be like the separation, like a crate. Like if you're not, so I bring up the working thing because Working dogs are typically in a crate and rotate process. So if you look at like the average canine, just street dog, like a cop dog, those are working dogs, but they're on the very low level of working dogs because some of them go home and they live with mom and dad and they sleep in the beds and they're this. Some of them don't, but I'm just saying when it, when you have a spectrum of working dogs and the seriousness of what they can be, the those types of dogs are on the very lower end of that. Because they also are kind of like a dual purpose, sometimes a pet at home. And the, the military dogs that are a little bit different aren't that at all. They are a tool. They are muzzled in the morning after they eat. They get they get leashed up, put into a cage or a crate in the car or the back of a car. They, go, they drive around all day to see if they need them. And if they don't, they come home, they get into their kennel, they eat, and they go to bed. And that's it. That's their life. They love that life because outside of that life, they would be euthanized likely because of their genetics and because and and that's not and, and the thing is is that's not every military dog that's not I'm not I'm just I'm just saying I think if a if a pet owner knew the life and the normalcy of a working dog's career and the routines somebody like yourself may not feel as bad as like hey I have this dog here's my options I either euthanize the dog or I start treating this dog not like a pet anymore because of his, you know, whatever we want to call it, aggression or unpredictability. So, and I'm just, for these are first thoughts for the first 10 minutes that we're talking of like, here's what I'm thinking. So I would say that you're, if you wanted to try to help this dog live a life, your number one responsibility is the safety of other people, as you know. And I know that you know that, and I know that that's what you care about. So when you're out in public, it would be doing the things that you're likely already doing because of this randomness, right? So if you did a sit and stay and your dog's great with sit and stay and five people walked by and you had no problems, and then that sixth person for whatever reason made your dog flip a script, then you have a lot more liability on your hands. But more importantly, you knew that that could have happened because of the unpredictability this dog has already shown. So in my professional opinion, when you get down to the line of, we have random acts of violence, if you will, towards you, 
then you have two decisions really. You have to manage it really closely, which some people are like, oh yeah, I that's no problem. And then other people are like, I can't do that. Uh, or euthanasia only because if it does happen, it's going to come back down to you because of this randomness that's happening. So when we talk about them, and I'm just rolling through things and then I'll get you know, what you're thinking. When we talk about this management system, it could be very close to what you're already doing. Maybe just add two things. Maybe add a muzzle and add crate time, you know, to what you're doing of like, that's outs in, that's just my first opinion. There's other things like doing all sorts of different lab checks and blood and blood work and medication to see, because I've had dogs that have been really edgy with, with a bite history and go to medication and be not that at all anymore. Just like with people. I mean, there's some people who uh, need medication for them to live a good life and there's nothing wrong with that because there's nothing they can do. Maybe their genetics and their DNA gave them manic depression or anxiety or whatever. And then the other thing is is just testing out these new routines as a collective to see like what's happening because the first incident like we talked about was somebody pinning the dog down and getting bit i would say 50% of the dogs out there that would have happened so that's not like that's what I thought, right like i could train that away that's probably- yeah that's an easy like well yeah, yeah the do- i mean it's not appropriate for the dog to bite people but i mean let's face it you pinned a dog down that you didn't know and you got bit so you know, that, that's just not like a shocker to, I think anybody. And then, you know, the, obviously the only thing I'd be concerned about is the thing that happened to you. And obviously there's not context cause you were sleeping. Not, not that there's, there's an excuse. I'm just always trying to play devil's advocate here. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I was on my phone okay. um, when I first, but I had, he used to, sorry, I should tell you even more of the situation. He used to come up on the, my, my bed in the morning and cuddle with me. Um, just as like morning. Hello. And he did that for a little bit. And then he got up and turned his back to me and went down to the edge of the bed. And I was like, oh, what's wrong? And um, come cuddle me. So he came and cuddled me. And like three or four minutes later, that's when he went back. So might have been my fault because I forced cuddles. I don't know. But I didn't grab him or anything. I just Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so that's, that's better um, on my end to hear. Because I'm thinking you're laying there sleeping, snoring on yourself, and then he came up and just started chewing on your leg. No, no, I asked him. I let him come up in the morning. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's better on on my mind. Because um, at least there's something of like that I could, you know. So, like I said, as a professional, what I always look for and look after is the safety of public and then you. So if you can live your life with this dog safely, then I think you'll, you could be okay. But here's the, there's the trigger or here's the thing is the only way you can really figure that out is with time. So you'd have to do it for a year to say, Hey, he's been great in public places. You know, he's muzzled. He's never had an issue. Nobody's coming up to pet him. I don't let him on my bed anymore. And in fact, to him or home, you know, he's in a crate, chilling, 
or whatever the case may be. And then when we go out and we go hiking and we do outdoorsy stuff, he's with us and he's living a good life. And I think if you can manage that through structure, so for so here's here's what I was trying to say earlier with the military dogs. For a dog owner, a pet owner, that may be daunting and that may be overwhelming and that may be a lot. But for for other dogs and dog owners, that's their norm. That's what they do. And I and I say that to help you feel a little bit better about there's certain dogs out there that aren't good pets. They're just not. And I can tell you right now, border collies are not good pets. Australian shepherds are typically not good pets. Malinois are not good pets. There's a lot of dog breeds out there that are not good pets that people get and they do similar things because they're getting this working, drivey, working dog that is supposed to be out on the field and on the farm literally 17 hours a day while the sun's up pushing around giant cattle and grabbing their shins and ripping them around and pushing them and they're literally sitting at home in a crate all day and they're lucky if they get a walk and the owners are wondering why they're frustrated and aggressive. So I, I'm i just saying this because I think that I have such a wide span of dog and like the culture of dogs where I think there's a lot of people who focus on the pet dog world of like not every pet, not every dog that you get is going to be a good pet and people are usually taken back by that. And they're like, what does that mean? I don't understand. I'm like, well, you're getting a dog that was genetically bred and developed through a thousand years to do a certain thing and you got it and you want it to do the exact opposite thing and your dog is going to probably end up in the shelter euthanized because of that and it's your fault. That's where no bad dogs comes in. So that's just like my first initial response to everything. But I think if your obedience is good and you were just very careful about the things that you were doing without causing too much stress in your life. Like, I don't want you to have anxiety forever. And that's why I'm telling you that there's some dogs out there that this is their normal life and that's how they live. And hopefully that helps you knowing that there's, again, like there's the pet world, which I is my bread and butter, but I also have a history and knowledge and experience in the other side of actual, that's why to me it's like, it's almost laughable about people who are like, you should never correct a dog. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's let's go over to this mili- military base here and start working with some of these dogs that their responsibility is to get a bad guy that is literally going to blow up a city and tell us about corrections and how serious things are, right? So anyway, <clears throat> so I think if you, if you managed these situations with structure, so it's not like, hey, mom and dad are going to watch the dog. That's not going to happen. Um, my neighbor might come over to watch the dog. That shouldn't happen. Um, now that doesn't mean you can't have people over because then he's just going to go in his crate and hang out and chew on a bone. But he's so, good with people coming over, like as long as no one touches him without him sitting at their feet first. Like he, it's almost like he has to choose to let you touch him, or else he. Right, but that's what I'm saying is that's where you have to yeah. change. Okay, okay. So I would have to create him. Everything. Well, so here's the thing is you like what you just said, it could be deadly for the dog and very hurtful to another person. And that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is it kind of falls in your court. Oh, he's muzzled. Sorry. He's he's um, basket muzzled. Okay. That helps. Part. That yeah, helps. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. 
but that's what I'm saying is like, if you get a dog that has this, we'll call it random rage, right? Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden they just attack somebody and you have no idea why. Or at least, you know, you, it sounds like you like, oh, well, he doesn't like this, but you may not know the next thing he doesn't like. And then he nails that person and now you got a bloody mess of a friend and family member and then you get a dog that's like, I, I don't like that, sorry. You know, yeah. so same thing with you. It's like, hey, come cuddle with me. And he's like, no, I don't want to. And you're like, hey, come over here and cuddle with me. And then he he bites you. It's like he doesn't like that stuff. And so you may know some things right now, but you may not know in the future as he matures and as he changes and as the environment changes and the person changes what he's going to like and what he's not. And you're going to have to constantly sit there and look at him to see like, okay, yeah, he likes that. Okay, he doesn't like that. Okay, he likes this. Like, I don't, that's what I'm saying is like, yeah. you're going to live a life very stressful. Like, what is the ROI? What is the benefit of having him around these people versus the 100% success rate of him just going into the other room while these people are over? Other than feeling good about yourself that your dog is out. Because if there's if a mistake happens, boom, then he's going to be... That's what I'm saying. That's like the shift you have to... Anxiety when he's not in another room. Like he chooses. Like right now, he's on the second bed over there, so he's not always at my feet or anything like that. And in my, I, I live in an apartment, so um, he he'll go to the other room and like chill, which is really quite nice. Um, but if I was to lock him in a room, I've never he was never been created. He's seven, um, just over seven, maybe, um, and so he's never been created and stuff like that. He doesn't have separation anxiety, which is really weird. You would think that he would have – he's having anxiety with, with everything, but no separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just – yeah, it's just a weird – Well, that's that's what I'm saying is like – for okay, <laughs> let me put it to you this way. If I had him and I was like, all right, here's the deal. And I kind of do have a dog like this, to be honest. Like Hawk is not my dog. He's a collect- Hawk is a Malinois that lives at my facility. Yeah. Long story. Um, if anybody were to, if anybody had to claim him, he would be mine. Although I see him twice a week, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, sometimes depending on my schedule. And my staff, he's happy. My staff, my staff work with him. He's he's around people all day. Anyway, he's a shop dog, but he's the same way. Like he doesn't. My point is, is like he. If we if we allow him around people that he doesn't know, or if somebody goes up and tries to pet him uh, outside of like we allowing them to pet him, he will have a problem with that, and that's like that's something that we know for sure. So my point is, is if this was my dog, and I knew that, excuse me, and I knew that he had this temper or this quick switch. Again, like it would either. <sighs> It would just be you have to control him. like, and, and I just don't see like, hey, mom and dad and sister are coming over. You're going to go in the other room. Here's a bone. See you later. Shut the door. Gone. So is there a risk of failure? Nope. Is there a risk of somebody getting hurt? Nope. Is there a risk of somebody getting hurt and then him being put down and then you feeling bad for a long time? Nope. But then if it's like, okay, well, I just want to do it because I feel bad. It's like, okay. But the risk over reward is is not equal at all because if he makes – yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The problem is, is I'm single, but I have like 50 friends and I'm at people's houses and I'm at my parents' house and stuff like that. I can't kennel him because no one will take him. I can't, 
I can't do a lot of things because no one will like people in my area just won't handle him and won't take him. So either I live the next eight years to 10 years of my life, you know, in my condo without any, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like I, um, why can't you like put I, him, why can't him you to get to the point where he could be, he could even be kenneled because right now they won't kennel him. Well, I, there's a couple things is uh, finding a good kennel is hard in general. It doesn't matter if you have a man eater or a puppy, like trusting somebody to take good care of your dog while you're away is hard. It's not just you. It's there's I have a, I have a great kennel that, but they won't take them. My last dog went there all the time and he was a difficult dog, but uh, they won't take him. Right. So you can't use that one. Right. Yeah. So you can't yeah. use that one. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You can't, can't use that one. Any, yeah. I can't so, use any of them. So. Okay. I've tried. Yeah. So what does, what does, um, what does putting your dog in the other room while you have people over have anything to do with that? That what we were just talking about. That's fine. That would be an easy thing to do. Like that's my last dog. Um, he would have to be um, kenneled for the first like 20 minutes. Everybody got there. I'll see pee everywhere. So I'm definitely used to putting him away until he was ready to come out and stuff. And okay. sitting there chewing on a bone that that's totally makes sense. But I need, I, I think I need Murphy to be able to get past that level of care where I'm not his only person that can handle him. And I don't know if that's, uh, if that's something that can happen. And I know it's not fair to say that um, he should be put down because of that, but, you know, the rescue won't take him back, right? And so I'm just kind of... I'm kind of hooped is so you, what I feel. Like. Yeah. When you say care, what do you, what do you mean? Like you want to get, you want him. Like I go to Europe for two weeks a year. I, I go traveling. I, I'm single and I make a lot of money. So I travel, I travel. And so all my trips this, this year have been local. So he could come with me and all of that. So, okay. So yeah. I understand that totally. It sucks. Totally get it. But what I'm saying is as somebody who works in the dog industry is there is going to be, you might have to drive two hours to get there, but there's kennels where it's contactless kennels. They do not touch your dog. They don't look at your dog. They are in a run. They are in a kennel and they, those exist. And that's what I was trying to say. And you were saying that that doesn't exist. And I'm telling you that I have man eaters that we kennel that exist and they go to those places and they're contactless kennels and they're specifically made for those dogs. So, um, they're out there. Um, and, and I'm not saying like, Hey, you know, it's like, it's not convenient for you. I understand that it might suck, but if you're like, Hey, I want to go enjoy my trip in Europe and not have to worry for two weeks. Those places do exist because I've used them. I have found them. My clients have found them. It's all I do. My friends have found them okay. that have dogs. So you just have to, and I'll just go over it for a second. So <clears throat> basically what it is, is it's a guillotine contactless kennel run. So what that means is when you drop your dog off, you bring them into the kennel and they're nice. It's a nice kennel. It's not like a, 
it's not like a shelter. It's a nice kennel. They have indoor and outdoor runs and it's like a shelter. Like when you get a dog that in a shelter that nobody can let out, they have a guillotine and all they do is they go up and it could be a 98 year old grandma and they, they pull this string. The dog goes outside to go pee and poop. And some of those runs are more luxurious than others. Some of them have, um, grass. Some of them don't. Um, and that's the way that they do it. And so I totally understand the inconvenience of not having the kennel that you prefer that you like take him. However, I have had an experience of people, you know, traveling certain, like, again, you want to go to Europe for two weeks and not stress about anything and not have to worry. You may have to drive a little bit to get to a place, a couple hours to get to a place that has a contactless system. And it may take you a couple of days to find that person. But I'm, I'm just... I'm just throwing that out there that they do exist. I didn't know that those existed and I appreciate that information. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. But look for like a con. I think if you Googled like contactless boarding or just call around to say, Hey, I have a dog that I, I don't think people are going to feel comfortable with. He's a sweet dog, but I don't want any mistakes. You know, do and they may say, we don't do that. And they may know somebody that does because those are very successful kennels because of that reason. We had to pay, I mean, I'm not like saying crazy money, but we had to pay a little bit of extra because they knew they're like, you're not, you have no choice. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, so there's that portion is obviously we're having this conversation, which means you care about this dog, which means you have enough patience to do the things possible. And I think if you find that kennel that can work with you and you can, you know, not have to worry about the dog, the dog, the dog, or even if you wanted to have people over for the weekend and, and, and who knows how far this kennel that's going to be for you is going to be, but there's that. And I, and I just think, um, on, on the other flip side of having people over in your house, I'm not, excuse me, I'm not saying that you always have to have the dog, uh, away. All I'm saying is, is like, if, you want to completely just be a host and hang out with your friends and family, then I think that's going to be the best way because you don't want to have to coach these people through and you don't want to have to sit there and watch, or you could have a hybrid. You can say, okay, I'm going to teach him how to go to his place and stay with his muzzle on. You're going to tell the one to two guests that come over, Hey, dogs over there in the place, just ignore him. And you, and then you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. And then after 20, 15 minutes after dinner when you guys are going to sit around and have drinks and hang out or whatever it is, you can say, okay, buddy, I'm just going to go in the other room. You're going to take the muzzle off. You're going to give him a treat and then you're good. So there is this hybrid. I'm All I'm saying is you have to just be, you have to like double cross your T's and double dot your I's to make sure that nothing bad happens. And I think as long as you are safe with how you manage that, I don't, I, I think that you could, live uh, this dog could live a happy life with you if you do that i think it's just responsibility so the other part of this is um my dog um that was 15 and a half died in march and so but i was in the process of starting to foster kids <laughs> and uh so uh, in order to be a foster parent um I have to wait another year because I had a big change in my life. And so I'm hoping in March to be able to start fostering a kid or two. Mm-hmm. And so um, do you think that a dog like this, 
like he's like he's behavioral vets right there's like three in calgary where i live and stuff so she has them on meds and stuff and do you think that a dog like this could ever get to the point to be around children um we'd have to clarify and define be around children so I'll, i'll give you two different live with live in the same household as a child that's also yeah um sorry there's this fox uh just going around my cul-de-sac right now not sure what he's doing yeah (laughs) anyway (laughs) those are really rare like i've only seen a couple oh really yeah no he's a young he's a young red fox and he's we had these we i live in this cul-de-sac which is just like a circle right and we have yeah. all these culvert pipes for our driveways, and that's where he lives. And he just, it's kind of scary. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> so I'm sure a lot of people would out there would say absolutely not, but I want to, this is where I have to define living, okay? <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, hanging around the house, being a family, no, but so uh, I'm trying to put this into perspective like again there's there's a lot of things that you could uh, okay so I'll give you a, a kind of example of of this okay I just had um not just last month or five weeks ago I had a, a baby boy and oh, congratulations. thank you and when we brought him home my dog Lakota has never bit anybody. Has never bit a. She's she's nice. She's friendly. She's never had any problems. <clears throat> but when I brought the baby home, she was like really suspicious of this. Okay, obviously newborn precious baby, a dog that's very suspicious that I trust that I would trust you know with my life that I've I've trained. But she was so suspicious that I didn't want her to make. She was more afraid. She was like, "What the hell is that? It's making weird noises. It smells different." it's a human, but it's not a human, right? So she was very suspicious. So she lived a very structured life for the, until she realized it was a human. And, you know, now she's kissing him all over where she can, you know, if we're feeding, she'll come over and lick his feet. Like, so in the, so my point is, is she lived a very structured life with this little baby because we were so focused. And so she was placing a lot. She was creating a lot. Um, so I lived a life, and same thing, I, I recently had a young, smaller dog uh, do, a, do a little training at my house. It's a friend's dog. And she doesn't really particularly love other dogs, but she tolerates them. So I had to be very careful and mindful, more importantly. I had to be very mindful. So my point is, is let's say, okay, let's say, I, I, I think you could, but you can't it's not going to be like this one big happy family type of thing where the kids are roaming around wherever they want. Like, I feel like if this, like I said, I just have so many of my friends and colleagues and experience of these dogs that are just like these working dogs that they have their own space in the house and that's their space. So in the morning it's going to be, you know, letting the dog out for a walk or bringing the dog for a hike. And so you really have to accommodate both ends of the spectrum do I think that they can be neutral with each other? Yes. Like if you had a kid, 
um, on, it depends on the age of the kid. It depends on so much, but I think ultimately it would be entirely up to your responsibility. Do they think that they can be alone together? No. Do I think that they can just roam around together? No, because the, the past incident of this equation was very unprovoked for the most part. And if it happens to a kid, then it would ultimately, you know, be really terrible all around mainly for the kid and then secondary to the dog and then third to you, obviously. So I, I wouldn't, I just, it, it depends on how much stuff you want to put on your plate, you know, because could you do it? Sure. But is it going to be like a create and rotate? Like you got to be able to delegate a lot of time to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, and, and especially if you're by yourself, it'd be a little bit different. If you had a partner that was like, I'm going to sleep in with the kid and okay, well, great. I'm going to go hike for two hours. You come back, the dog goes into the room, they, they, they nap there for the afternoon. You do the mom thing or whatever you want to do, whatever your thing is. And then, you know, same thing. So I think it's possible because I've seen people do it. It's just very, very, very structured due diligence. So the answer is you could, but it's not going to be how it would be maybe with your other dogs where they're just like never, ever aggressive whatever and yeah yeah it's tough it's a lot of partition life partitions yes it's yeah. huge and i feel for you life. yeah and i yeah. i really do i i feel for you you know i i have a lot of empathy towards individuals like yourself because i know you're trying to help this dog out but you know it's like i don't want you to not be able to live your life because of these other things but you know, the other thing is, in my, in, and this is my opinion, <clears throat> is if you, the other, the other thing that a lot of dogs like this, because it's, it's only happened once, not with the, not with the pin down, like, well. No, he, no, he, he'll bite me. Like if I went over and I started petting him in the wrong position without his permission, he'd bite me. He'd hmm. full on attack. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's just... I'm very, I'm very sensitive to him now, so I make eye contact, I make him sit, he has to ask for it, then I pet him. If I try to do nails or whatever, then it's like World War Three. but I can then groom him for 45 minutes, he doesn't care, but then mm-hmm. sometimes I turn the groomer me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like I said, I think that this is this is your dog and your project. And, and it, I would find it hard to believe anybody else taking as much time to, to put into this dog. And I feel like if you wanted to continue to do these things, and of course, I'm saying this without meeting the dog, um, and without really I'll never tell somebody to euthanize a dog over the phone because I just – I can't. I don't think that that's fair. Yeah, that's I've right. seen people do that and I'm like, that's – Do you want to meet him? Do you want to see what he can do? No, not over the okay, phone. Okay, put him on this bed. No, I don't. No. Oh, okay. okay. I was just saying like even even if you even if I spent four hours with you on the phone, like I, I'd have to really like read read a dog in order to really understand. I'm just – I'm, cons- I'm this is a consulting service that I'm trying to give you as, as much information as I can and yeah. – I I think I don't think anybody else will spend spend as much time with this dog as you have to be responsible. I think potentially giving him back to somebody if anybody would take him would be somewhat of a risk and because it's a huge liability especially in my province. So yeah. when you, they sue, they can see sue the whole history of the dog. So wow. <clears throat> yeah. So 
Yeah. So I think it, the, the, you know, it really comes down to what you want to do and how you want to live your life, uh, with this particular dog. And the other thing I would suggest is, is it, of course, like more blood work and more things to see and more medication to see what helps. But yeah, it sounds like, you know, if you want to continue to live the life you're living with the dog currently, I think you'd be fine. Um, but outside of that, I think it would be, yeah, it wouldn't, it would be a death sentence for him. Yeah. Um, so another thing is, I just wanted to ask your advice on this. Um, so he has this, um, Nyla bone. I don't know if you know what those are, but they're like a gel bone. I do. Yeah. He never chews on it. Doesn't care about it at all until nine o'clock at night. And then he goes, he gets up randomly around that time goes finds it and then stands over it for like half an hour in the dark it does or like as i'm watching tv he like stands there like someone's gonna take it like he's guarding it all of a sudden yeah and then i just walk do a, a large berth around him um and then he'll take it and like sleep with it and then he won't care about it in the morning. Doesn't acknowledge it whatsoever at all, uh, all during the day. Another dog can eat it, all that stuff. But as soon as like it's close to bedtime, it's like this weird thing where he'll like growl as I come closer. It is. What is that? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but I wouldn't be giving him those bones just because of those reasons. Um, but there, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I will say through experience that I have had clients that have had this witching hour, uh, thing when it gets like closer to air quotes bedtime. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm sure that there's this long explanation of why animals in general can get like this, maybe because of whatever, um, this predatorial, I, I, I'm not sure, but, um, or or maybe their maybe their routine at night makes them more protective over something or i, I i'm not sure I, it's hard to like i said it's hard to say but yeah. but again like this is a dog that i wouldn't give him opportunities to resource guard anything because it's like hey he has this history of being edgy and unpredictable and he's showing signs of resource guarding you know those are types of things that i i again, like to set this dog up for success would just eliminate any likely because he, he obviously doesn't care about it because he's not sitting there chewing on it all day. And then you take it away and he's just circling and doing nothing. He's just, he, the only thing that that bone is doing is causing a potential problem between you and him. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, he'll do it with a chewy. He'll forget about that bone sometimes if I give him a chewy and, um, but throughout the day I can take the chewy away from him. Like I give him for half an hour or whatever, especially if I leave, I give him a chewing. If I come back and it's still there and then I pick it up, totally fine. But then, and he'll growl at me, but I can still pick these things up. Like, it's just weird. Okay. So yeah. you've heard of witching hour before. I have. Okay. Yeah. I and it's, thought, yeah, no, okay. totally. And I, and I just, pff, I don't know. Um, but it, yeah. it is normal for, so let me try to anchor this down a little bit. It is normal for like, let's say I have a dog that's obsessed with this toy and there's two spec, two sides of spectrums on this behavior where if somebody comes into the house, like a grandma or grandpa or somebody that the dog really loves, they may go looking for this toy to bring to them. They're like, Oh, I, they know they, they forgot about it for days or hours 
but they go and they grab it and they bring it to this person. Rather, it's a gesture of, and this is the cool thing about dogs is because you can study and try to figure out what is that gesture? Is it like, hey, I brought you something or, hey, I want you to throw this or, hey, check this out or, you know, like a kid showing grandma and grandpa, like, look what I got, you know, I'm not sure. You, you can watch it and try to figure it out as you go. But, and then there's this other like the resource guarding thing where like if you had somebody come into the house or another dog come into the house or another dog come around that, and I've seen this with dogs, they may frantically look for the bone or toy and just sit there and crowd it. Cause they're like, you can't touch this. This is mine. Like a bratty kid. They literally haven't touched their new toy in days. And then all of a sudden their cousin comes over and they go and they, they hold on to it. And it's like, dude, you're just being a brat. Like you don't, so I'm just throwing that information out there that I've seen it go those ways and I, I'm not sure why. And and like I said before, I have seen the um we'll call it like the witching hour thing. I, I I've seen certain dogs just like flip on a script at night and there's no rhyme or reason. Um I have my my lo- I have this holistic vet that I really like. She's she focuses in a lot on like acupuncture and Chinese medicine and she, she we try to just use as, as much natural stuff as we can with, with our animals until we have to do, you know, actual medication and stuff where it kicks in, which I totally know that there's a place for, but I just feel like vets these days are just so quick to just throw, you know, pain pills. And they're not like, I'm like, why don't you just stretch the thing? Like whatever. Anyway. So she has had like different experiences with doing different, um, like herbs at night to decrease. Like when my older dog who lived until she was 18, had some like, uh, uh, we'll call it like at night dementia or like whatever. And we use these Chinese herbs to kind of counter that. And that worked really nicely, but it's not the same thing. I'm just saying like, I don't know. It's tough to say like why these things happen. Because like my parents came and visited with their dog and he didn't care that that dog chewed on the Nyla bone all day until <laughs> witching hour. And yeah, right, right, like right. This- yeah, he doesn't resource guard at all until witching hour, and it's only one item. Like you can go grab another one of his toys; he doesn't care. Um, half the chewy, you can break it in half as long as he has like this mm-hmm. much of the chewy, then he's fine. It's it, yeah, okay. So um, yeah, because my last dog died at fifteen and a half, and he he had like weird dementia at night mm-hmm. too, towards the end and stuff. So I yeah. I know what you're talking about uh, from that experience, but. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it happens. So I'm dealing with, I'm not dealing with, I was just thinking that maybe I, you were going to give me some training tips or something like that to like fix him. And so I'm doing deference training. And so he's really taken that on. And so I'm teaching him how to do deep breaths and stuff. He's actually really smart. And so we're doing that and, and stuff like that. So he's starting to sit when he's anxious and everything. So that's been really good. But um, other than that, any other tips? <laughs> I know he, I, I know partitions, and um, I'll have to decide if my life can handle partition life because you know I've never had a kid, and so fostering a kid might be like too too much as is. Let alone with a dog after partition from everything, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay. yeah, and and you know the the I mean as we as we were talking, uh, you know, I was giving a lot of. Uh, insight on some things and and it 
the majority of people that I speak with and talk to are in these situations don't have good obedience. And then I have to spend almost 45 to 50 of our minutes talking about obedience and why and how. Um, but it sounds like your obedience is good. And at this point, it's more about how you should be managing the situation. And those are the things that I was like, you know, in the other room, muzzle training, um, just literally, like, I would look at every situation as a can this be, could this go wrong? And if the answer is yes, then there's no reason and there's no reason why you should feel bad or like you're like you're failing to just avoid the situation. And it's mainly going to be because of the other people that are going to be involved. And so again, like I, the, the best thing that you can do, especially if he, it, like the fact that he's muzzle trained is great because you can just really figure out the things that you can do with him and the things because I can like I had these two dogs in recently these two pit bulls in in my in my out of state program and and they we muzzled them and I and, and could I have worked with these dogs without the muzzle sure but the tension between us and the things that I can do and the progress we can make is just like so much better if they're muzzled so the fact that they're muzzled or he's muzzled you can do a lot more with him and and be able to get away with that um, so anyway, so I would recommend just continuing to build like the durations on your obedience and make your obedience better, but you're already partitioning. He's already muzzle trained. Your, his obedience is good. You're doing all these different things already. So really it's more of what should you be doing with this dog on a, on a life standpoint? And I, um, I feel like we've dove into that pretty deep. So I don't, there's nothing I could really think of other than you're just going to have to really audit each situation to make sure that, like I said, I, I just think like the biggest piece of information I can give you is knowing that there's so many people out there that do the same thing. And you just have to have a very binary approach of like, this is how, this is how it's going to go. And these are the, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to find that kennel for this dog. Um, and when I have him, uh, you know, he's going to be my dog and these are the things we're going to do until he dies or not, you know? So I think you just have to <clears throat> delegate really hard and commit uh very like really commit to what you're doing and and make sure that you follow through with it because somebody could get hurt if not <clears throat> the other thing that i mean honestly what would help is if you it, and i know what you're going to say because you've already said it but getting into another trainer that can help this dog although nobody in your area will work with him but um that would also I help $400 for grooming training. And then I told him that he attacked me cause he, I, when I first got him, I got him grooming training. And so then they refused to continue. And it's just like, I've called around to every kennel I can possibly find to see if they'd take them. And, yeah. um, but I didn't know about contactless kennels. So I just feel like in maybe in my city or something like that, there's no room for this type of dog. For sure, no, for sure. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Canada, I, um, I, I have had more inquiries to get me to Canada than anywhere else because it seems like there's just not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of resources for behavioral cases. I think it's um, limited, and so I totally, totally get. I'd love to get up there. We just, I just need a venue to 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 do something, but. Like I said, I just think like the fact that this dog is muzzled, like a condition, muzzle condition where he's like not constantly trying to rip it off him 
is like really nice that I feel like if you found the right, if you did find the right trainer, um, you know, you'd be, cause here's what I would do. It's like, if you lived on the road for me, it'd be like, bring him in. And then I could, I could do some work with him so we can work on these triggers and we can work on different things to figure out like, okay, this is what he totally doesn't care with. And this is, it's, it's like a, um, it's like a project that you would just take notes of like, okay, we've worked with him 10 times and he's never cared about this and this is what he cared about. And it just gives you more confidence knowing that he can do the things that maybe you didn't think he could do or it's nice to just see somebody else work with the dog to get a different perspective because right now, especially with the behavioralist, I'm sure the behavioralist is not going to touch this dog. Um, and The behavioralist, yeah, she just sat there. She just sat there. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. yeah. Like, and no, uh, matter, no matter what he did, like he asked for pets and like went to her and sat there and looked her in the eye and like did all he was supposed to do, but he, she wouldn't, she refused to pet him. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so to be, that's her yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, that's that they're not trainers. They don't train. They don't know how to train. They're just, they analyze behavior and they give advice off of their, um, whatever. So I totally get it. It's a, it's a contradicting thing, but yeah. Um, the last like, two seconds, I've had two vets, a, a, a rescue foundation that worked with them for a year, a vet with the rescue foundation, and then a behavioral vet tell me that he should be put down. Am I just being silly by keeping him or? That's a great question. I know it's hard for you to uh, I know that's really hard and to put it on you and stuff, but like, is it, well, is it something that he could ever get over? I, it, my answer to that is you can't get over something. You don't know what the problem is. Like, we don't know what the problem is. Like, there's no, it's not like, Hey, this is his every single time this happens. He does this, or it would be different if he hated people or if he hated other dogs or he was leash reactive or th those are things that I can say like, yes, we can get over that right now. It's like, can he get over this thing that we don't know what it is and when it's going to happen and where it's going to come from? Can he get over it? It's like, we don't, we can't isolate what it is. It's the only thing that we can isolate is the unpredictability of it. And so it's like, can he get over unpredictability? It's like, I, that's, it's like a catch 22. It's like an oxymoron. It, <laughs> it is. It, yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? It's, fair. it's, yeah. That's what unpredictability is, is we don't know when and why and how. So, <clears throat> but I want to go back to your other question about everyone else saying put down the dog. So there's a lot of people that would put down this dog because they don't have the time and energy and, and patience to, to, to move forward. And <clears throat> also there's, and, and, and I think so if you did put down this dog, it wouldn't be this terrible thing of like, how dare you? You didn't try, right? You definitely have tried. Um, and if you don't have the skills and times and, and, and patience to make this dog successful, then yeah, it's not a good idea. But I think if you really look at the situation, and that's, again, this is a consulting service of me just giving you advice over the phone. So it's, it's hard mm -hmm. for me. I, I don't know, you know, how severe it is, but I will say that, especially in the area that you live in particular, there's, there's not a lot of people who are comfortable with dogs like this. That's why they do get euthanized so much. So there's dogs that, um, may be leash reactive that also get euthanized by these people. And, from my experience specializing in behavior modification, especially with the 
veterinarian side is the veterinarians are absolutely horrendous with, with animal behavior. They've never been trained on it. Um, so there's that. I mean, I, I watched the vet yesterday do things that literally made me cringe my teeth. I'm like, what are you doing? Aren't, what are you doing? Anyway, um, my point is, is there's a lot of people who aren't comfortable, equipped, uh, and have experience with working with aggressive behavior, and they would put a dog down for a lot less than what we're talking about. So I'm, I'm, this is like this, I have to play devil's advocate that there's also probably a lot of people who do, who do have experience in this and may say the same thing, but to be fair, there's also a bigger bigger portion of people especially in the area that you're in that are like scary aggressive dog euthanize it because they haven't like i can't tell you how many dogs that i have been successfully been able to do successful behavior modification with long term that have been told to be put down lots of them because the person that they were working with wasn't equipped and didn't know what didn't know how to handle the situation and or a lot of times what happens, especially here in the United States, is you get a shelter or a rescue group that falls under a category of training styles and they won't go out of that. This is the only way that we train. This is the only way that we are able to train or willing to train. And then they work in conjunction with another clinic, like a behaviorist or another training camp that also believes in that. And if you're bouncing between that ecosystem of this is the way we train, this is the way we do it, anything else out of this is euthanasia, then of course you're going to be stuck in there too. And I've seen that hundreds of times, which is, again, we talked about the opening conversation was no bad dogs, which is why I push it so much is because I would say eight times out of 10 dogs that are being euthanized are being euthanized because they went to the wrong person. And it happens a lot. So it's, it's a very hard place for me to because like i said i think the same thing like okay like lola my older dog when she was like really getting closer to the edge or the end of her life my vet looked at me and said look if you put this dog down right now today nobody is going to think any different of you and this dog had lived the best life up until this point however because I work, I work from. I, I have the ability to work from home and take three years off if I wanted to without stepping foot into work. I could. I also, <laughs> I, I, I also have the ability to do things that other people couldn't. I don't have to go into work. I yeah. specialize in animal care, which means my my patience and my empathy towards animals and specifically dogs are through the roof. Um, and so, you know, those are the things that I was, I was kind of slapped with too, to be like, Hey, you could put this dog down right now and nobody would bat an eyelash. She's, she could go on in her life and, and continue to, to live a pretty good life. Um, if you were able to, you know, pick her up when she goes pee or pick her up if she falls and make sure she has the medication and you can afford the medication, you can afford the, uh, the acupuncture, you can afford this, you can bring her. So those are the types of things that like, I was like, well, I'm going to go the extra mile to do it because I can. And it's, it's okay for the dog to continue to do that. Um, so I, I'm just kind of throwing my experiences out at you that, you know, it, it, it is a tough thing, but I think ultimately you should just take a deep breath and take a step back and figure out really what you want to do. And and I think at the end of the day, I wouldn't be putting anybody else in harm's way by just being like, hey, don't 
pet my they just like having this dog off leash even with the muzzle and having somebody pet this dog at the wrong time when you weren't paying attention is it's going to be scary for that person and you're like oops my bad so i think as long as you just keep this dog into safe situations i think you'll be fine to be honest i think taking on a kid into the house is going to be overwhelming for you although i'm not saying you have to pick the dog over your goals of fostering children but that's kind of like what it does come down to is like, which one do you want to do? Because then I think you'll just be overly stressed and then you'll be, you'll make a decision based off of the amount of stress you just put yourself under. It's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, all right, I'm going to hang on to dog. I'm going to manage the dog. And we've gone six months and we've been fine. Great. And then you're like, okay, we'll take a foster child or whatever in if that test does pass, whatever they do. And then now you're like, like buried with this stress because now the kid is literally running around your house and your dog is sitting in the other room like getting upset and you're like oh shit now I have to euthanize this dog like because you changed your world so and I'm just trying to save you from those heartaches so I I think that that's what you should really figure out you know spend some spend a couple weeks just thinking about what you want to do um and how you want to live the rest of this dog's life and that's it. It's tough. Okay. It's not easy. I feel yeah. for you for sure. Yeah, I thought I, I adopted a cockapoo. That's what he is. And uh, uh, I thought I was getting like this nice, cute family dog. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I'm glad you said that too. How much does he weigh? Um, oh, you don't do kilos. Um, is he small or 25-ish pounds. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. He's more in the cocker side than the the poodle. For whatever reason, I had in my head that this dog was a pit bull. I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, okay, because that kind of changes things a bit. Um, because a cockapoo flailing through a muzzle and doing something is a lot less scarier than a larger dog. Um which can give you I've babysat a pit bull for six months and I was way less scared of her than I yeah no yeah Yeah. I'm just saying like in general like the the severity behind a dog like thrashing I'm not saying because I pit bulls are my one of my favorite breeds in the world especially to train they're they blow everyone else out of the water except for labs but anyway um you know I I don't know I mean because the the other thing I would say is if you wanted to um, if you ever make your way down this way, uh, I, I would be happy to work with the dog too, to give you some tips. And that's something that we do. Um, you know, um, some people like when people come to work with me, they're like, Oh yeah, it's a far drive. And they're from New Jersey, which is like two and a half hours, three hours. And then there's other people that drive from New Mexico or North Dakota. And it's like four days or whatever. So, um, you know, that is another option. I would be happy to work with you guys. Uh, and I would uh, welcome you guys into my training camp to help you analyze a little bit more, maybe give you some more information. Cause I want, I don't want you to feel stranded and feel, I mean, although we are talking and this is probably helpful for you, but, um, having somebody actually work with a dog that has experience in behavioral cases, uh, would also be helpful. So just keep that in mind too, that if you, I know that you're a traveler and things like that and if you ever find your way uh i think it'd be like 60 hours of driving but uh because you're in upstate new york right is that right yeah 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 so um yeah i think we're like three and a half hours south of montreal okay 
So I think that might be exaggeration. It might be only like 50 hours or something like that. <laughs> I know it's it's tough, and I'm yeah. not like I said. And how some people. So it's like, a weekend. Would- yeah, it's a weekend. It's a weekend. So that's why I was saying like it might be. I'm not. I'm not saying come and hang out with me for an hour. That wouldn't be beneficial. No. But the weekend is um, Thursday through Saturday. So you do uh, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and then half a day on Saturday. Um, and then you know I I wouldn't let you leave without feeling like you feel better about like okay this this makes me feel better i would make sure that you feel fulfilled about the things that you're you know dealing with so it's just an option i like i said i don't want you to like i like i said i mean there's people that would be like oh i'd love to and then there's other people that would would, and i totally get both ends like you know but i just don't want you to feel like you're completely you know hopeless out there i I, (laughs) i'd be more than happy to to handle this dog and figure some things out with you and work with you on it yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate. Yeah, you're welcome. Meeting with me and yeah. um, your advice, and I'll look at the contact list, um, vets, and um, and go from there. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. Good luck. I'll, I'll think about it. I have vacation, so I yeah, have time to think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Think, think about things, and you know, don't rush into anything. You're, you don't have to. This isn't a. I gotta rush and make a decision. You know, you just, just, you know, take your time and and just think it through. Yeah, I, the worst case scenario, if he has to be put down, I'll put him down like February 28th. Because <laughs> March 1st is when I can start fostering. So Okay. Uh, yeah. All right, well, good luck. Okay. Thanks. Have You're a great welcome. day. You too. Bye. All right, you've reached the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm going to be answering your... So the dog training does not stop. Even at the end, we're going to give you some more. Absolutely for free. All right, you guys, the first one comes from Mutt June. Finding the No Bad Dogs podcast is like finding a treasure of gold. Tom has a natural instinct for understanding dogs, and whatever sets him apart is has the ability to transfer his knowledge to dog owners with patience and precise explanation of the actual steps to get you to your goal with your dog. Well, thank you. Tom is a true teacher. With that said, I'm a new dog owner of four years old and a rescue dog since June of 2022. She's a 13-pound super mutt, mostly Maltese and mixes of Chihuahua. Poodle. Dashund and Mini Pincher. She's super smart and she has learned basic obedience so quickly considering she was a reactive and insecure dog. Thanks to your YouTube videos, I have made great progress with her. I am a school teacher on summer break, so I'll be returning to my eight hour workday soon, leaving her at home. She does not destroy anything or do it in the house or bathroom business, but she does sit at the patio door of my condo waiting on and off barking for me. It's improved a lot since the past month, and it's not frantic. What's the best way for me to get her used to me being gone long hours to stop barking? Will she get used to me being back at work? Do you recommend a bark collar? Great question. First thing I would say is if you can, and as you guys heard in this podcast or in any other podcast I've done, is if you can if you can take out or control the variable that's causing the issue, do it. So if we're barking, um, you might want to start uh, – maybe hiring a dog walker to come in to give your dog a nice walk uh, throughout the day. That's the first thing I would do. Other alternative, if your dog is okay with it and is enjoying it and it's uh, affordable to use, doggy daycare is also a great alternative as you're working long hours. Um, Let's see. Bark collars are okay. Um, You just have to be careful with bark collars um, depending on why they're barking. I think things can get... Um, a bit unfair to some degree. If you're getting a dog that's habitually barking because they're bored and being kind of bratty, um, 
you know, I, I, I so, um, the, yeah, the bark collars are okay. I would, I would only recommend the vibrating bark collar. Dogtra makes an IQ vibe, um, which is, um, which is great. So I, I would recommend the IQ vibe if you're going to lean into that. Um, it's a fair, uh, correction that happens when the dog barks. And then hopefully, basically like the, hopefully the dog will self soothe after that, that's kind of the, the objective. The dog will bark and go, hey, I want attention, I want attention, and they get that vibrate for reacting. They stop barking, and then they self-soothe, and maybe they go take a nap. That would be step one. You can try that, Matt. Um, I would suggest uh, NBD10 gets you 10% off uh, any dog trip per purchase, uh, I believe over 200, so you can check that out. Uh, great question. Thank you so much for the review. Very thoughtful. Appreciate you. Next one comes from our... our Deep here in 71 game changing podcast, five stars. So glad I found this podcast. The information shared on this podcast challenge to be the better has challenged me to be a better dog mom at work with my pups. Thank you for the content. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you for the review. The next one comes from HC Garvey. So helpful. Thank you, Tom. Your content is informative and intuitive. You are balanced and clear. Cheers to you and your team. My question is, I have a male German Shepherd who's four years old, is ready to level up to e-collar training, but he has is, but he is he is collar dramatic. When I put on your no bad dog collar on him, he flops around, rubs himself against the furniture, runs in the grass, and stresses the drama king. To be clear, I've never turned it on. He just is reacting to me putting on. Um, I hear you say often that dogs don't typically care what's on their necks. Any suggestions to desensitize him? Um, I would just keep it on them. I would maybe put it on and keep it a little loose. Uh, so it's, especially because you're not using it right now, I would just put it on them, keep it a little loose. Don't make it a big deal. Do the best you can to make it the best experience ever. So maybe the first five minutes you sit there and distribute him a treat every 30 seconds uh, while he's on a leash. So I think just the desensitization over time will, will get better. And I just leave it on him, leave it on him for longer periods of time. Cause I, I would very, be very surprised if he sat there and rubbed his neck for hours on end. So I would keep it on him, keep it kind of loose, make it a fun experience, and then leave it, leave it on for longer periods of time. 303 Rescue Pup, Lifesaver, five-star review. Thank you. I had a lots of opso for 18 years, and when he died, I decided to foster. I fell in love with the, I fell in love with the first dog I fostered when I adopted him and started taking him outside my home. I quickly learned I had no idea how to support this dog's reactivity. Um... Okay. Six months together and five sessions with an all-around positive trainer later, he bit my stepdad hard, drawing blood. The first time they met last month, I've hired another trainer who can help me with corrections, and I'm learning about this through your podcast and YouTube videos. I am so thankful to have stumbled across your content. Thank you so much for your logical approach by training humans and how to build a better relationship to communicate with our traumatized dogs. We have made mountains and mountains of progress in a few short weeks. My rescue pup was very close to being rehomed and euthanized. I couldn't be more thankful for you. Well, thank you so much. Um, and, and even if you guys don't have a question, you don't understand what that means to me. Um, this is why I do what I do. To have somebody comment on my thing to say, hey, that free information you put out on your podcast and your YouTube saved my dog's life is the best reward I could ever get. It's It it trumps everything, all of the anything that I've ever done. So... I love hearing those. I'm going to do one more just because we've had a couple in here that weren't questions, although I appreciate them more than the questions. Brawl 29. 
five-star review. Thank you so much. <clears throat> As a trainer myself, I find it very enjoyable to listen to Tom's client complaints pause before he responds and come up with a better response to the client. I normally find that Tom and I come up with very similar solutions for people. There's a lot to learn from this podcast. He's very practical and straightforward with his solutions. The only bad reviews you'll see here from from the force-free crowd that live in a fantasy with their border collies and liver treats. My question is, is how do you deal with the overwhelming number of emotional dog owners in the world that refuse to help their dogs because they don't want to feel bad correcting them. I have a client right now with a reactive Wheaton Terrier who has bit another dog and pulled an 80-year-old woman down to the ground scratching her face up. They refuse to use the prong collar and save the dog's life by teaching her right from wrong because they feel bad about it. I'm convinced, I've convinced them that it was the right move and I've made some progress very fast. I just am curious how to handle that because it happens to me all the time. This is a great question and this will be the end of the, the, the questions, but this is going to probably take me a little bit of time to, to go over. So it's a, such a good topic and this could be its, its own podcast itself, but it's such a good topic. And to be completely honest, I don't get much of this because everybody that I work with in particular already knows about me, right? So they've, 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 traveled because I only train doing my out-of-state program or my seminars. The people who are coming to these seminars and the people who are traveling to get to train to me already know the deal, right? They've seen my podcast or I'm sorry, they've seen my YouTube and they've listened to my podcast. They know how it goes and they know what to expect and they know the benefits of using some tools if needed. So there's that. But I do run into people when I'm doing my free dog training bit that are a little hesitant. And I think that this is kind of my secret sauce of being just a human being and a dog lover. I'm like, hey. And there was this one girl when we were in New York City that said she doesn't believe in any of these things. The dog wouldn't, she said in the video that her dog wouldn't listen if overly distracted. And her dog wouldn't listen under most circumstances. And she needed help and um, she didn't believe in choke chains or whatever. You guys can find this video on my YouTube. It's a short. And um, so I said, Hey, you know, and, and, and it was, and that's the thing about the free dog training thing is it's not forced. It's just like, Hey, if you want help, I can help you. And oftentimes these people do like to, you know, they need help. They want help. So anyway, we were, um, you know, we worked a little bit and I just said, Hey, I'd love to help you with this. I'd love to show you some things that you can do to, to benefit your dog's relationship and understand boundaries. I said, this is a slip leash, and I know that you don't particularly like choke change, air quotes, but this slip leash is going to provide you the communication and a safer handling tool than the flat collar that you have on because of these reasons. And she was like, oh, you know, I said, I said, hey, I, I can show you really quick. If not, you know, have a great, it was a lovely conversation. That's how, like, I think life should be. You know, like somebody who doesn't believe in maybe tools or doesn't believe in punishment or doesn't believe the philosophy, that's totally fine. That's totally fine, right? We could still have a, have a conversation about everything else, and that's what we did. Her and I were talking. I was there working with some of the New York Yankees at the time, so she was talking about her son's love for baseball, and I was telling her, you know, oh, yeah, you know. And um, I ended up, you know, she's like, yeah, yeah, show me. And I showed her, and she was really impressed. And I actually, I think I gave her my slip leash at the time, and it was lovely. So when you, when you, for me, it's about education, 
right? So when somebody says, I like if a client says, I don't feel comfortable with a prong collar, I then, first of all, I never make my clients do anything that they aren't comfortable with, obviously. I just say, your dog has bit another dog. Your dog has dragged an elderly lady down the road and, you know, hurt their face. And you have no control. And you're hiring me or you're inquiring with me as a professional to help you. And over the years, I have found that using such a tool as a prong caller is going to be the safest, most effective way to communicate under the circumstances that we are provided with currently. If you have an 80-year-old lady walking an 80-pound dog, it's a liability. That's why you're, that's the reason why you didn't, you're, that the reason why the 80-year-old lady was on her face and the dog maybe bit another person is because of the lack of control. So there's all this, that's, that's kind of like the beauty of being a balanced dog trainer is it all kind of points to reality. I don't have to, I don't have to say anything. It's all right in front of you. What you're doing isn't working. It's not working. This is what's going to help. Let me show you. And then the dog owner goes, holy crap, this is amazing. So there's going to be natural skeptics of anything that you do. And that's the thing is like, if you go outside of the dog training world, I think it can be overwhelming as a balanced dog trainer to feel like you have to prove yourself to say like, no, it's not, it's not this, it's that, you know, people who use them wrong are scumbags and I'm not that person. Let me show you how to do it. But really nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> like the majority of people just want help, but you're going to get some people that are conflicted about the tools because they're ignorant to what it is. And that's natural. So anybody who doesn't like the prong collar, I've let me put it to you this way. I've never met one single person that has used the prong collar that didn't like it. Every single person that I've ever run into on the internet, in the comments, in person, have never used the tools that they don't like, not once. And that's thousands and thousands of people. Thousands. They're like this. They've ne- When I ask the question of what's your experience with the tool, They've never used it. Now, whatever comes after that of I'll never use it because I don't care. What I'm focused on is you can't do all these things and say all these things if, you, if you've never used it. And so it's education. It's proof. And that's kind of the beauty of what I think the No Bad Dog Army and the community that we're developing is, is we are proof, evidence-based training in reality. The amount of, how many people on this podcast have you heard say, I use a positive only trainer and here's where we're at. Please help. How, I mean, I could take these clips out and, and accumulate hundreds of them between that and my YouTube channel. So it's, it's not about wrong, right, or better or worse. It's about certain things are going to work better for certain people. And there's going to be people, our clients, the only people who care more about tools are the people who don't like tools, Period. Those are the only people who, who, who focus on the tool thing, right? Dog owners are just like, hey, dude, I don't give a shit. I'm busy, right? I got two jobs. I got two kids. I'm busy. Just help me with my dog. But you are going to get those people who are a little skeptical. So it's education. Hey, I understand why you may not like the prong collar because of its looks, but let me explain to you what it does. And as soon as you put it on your neck and your skin, explain to them that it's not what you think it is. And you go, now here's why. The pressure points here, the distributing plate here, is this is what you do. You demo a dog with it. Let me help you. And then they go, oh, and then you're in. And that goes to another thing. I have never once used a prong collar on a dog and somebody go, yeah, I didn't like that. Never once. It's never happened. Never. Because of the results that it yields 
and because of the insecurities people have about this equipment isn't real. Once you show them, they go, oh, shit, this is amazing every single time. So I think it's education. It's letting your ego down um, because that's a big thing. You know, if somebody's like, I don't want to use your equipment because it's you're a piece of shit and it's damaging and you're like, hey, that's fine. But, you know, sometimes as dog trainers, your ego can get in the way because you know all the good work you've done and how many people want your services. So there's that, letting that go. Of like, hey, that, that doesn't matter. This is about the dog that's in front of you and the person that needs help in front of you. You don't need to prove anything. All you need to do is educate them. So that's my accumulation of, you know, I think just in general, it's going to happen. Like if you're a chef, somebody's going to return your plate of food and say, I this stinks. I don't like this. And you're like, really? Because the last 2,000 people raved about it. There's just going to be people who don't like certain things. And that's okay. Your job as, an, as a teacher and as an educator and as a trainer is to push away your ego and say, hey, I get that. Man, look at this thing. If you thought that this was filled with razor blades and spikes and it, it goes into your dog to impale them and to hurt them, I wouldn't like this thing either. I'd never use it. But let me just explain to you why this was invented and the purpose it has and how safer it is for you and your dog and how much results you're going to be able to yield. Let me just show you. And that's it. And then usually after that, it's all you need. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's like, it's not amazing. It's amazing to you. It's not amazing to me. You were sitting there trying to use a hammer on a screw, right? You just weren't using the right tools for the thing that was in front of you. You know, you got this 80 pound giant Wheaton. Let me just show you. And if they're not willing, then just work around it. Okay. We're going to use that harness, but we're gonna, it's going to take us quite a bit of time that we really don't have and the money that you don't have to continue training with me. So I hope that helps. I appreciate everyone's review and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.